Welcome to Black Hill. Another autumn evening, another vault of trees, this time stunted, crumpled and desiccated. The prevailing westerly has leaned each branch to the east, pitched directly and steeply to the verge of Kirkgate, rising high above the village, but still within the shadow of Black Hill beyond. The black-spotted leaves of untended beech hedge, ruptured by outcrops of gorse seeded wild on the winds from the hills above. Here, at the corner, where the high road gives on to the pisted path, is another small house. Four lonely rooms in whitewash harling, tongue and groove ceilings and a smell of damp church halls. The carpets don't quite reach the skirting. The only ornamentation is provided by brass fire tools that sit by the cold range. Every time she comes through the storm door into the porch, she imagines hanging up snared rabbits from the coat hooks. She pours a glass of water, lights a green candle in its brass holder, and lights, in turn, a cigarette from the candle. She has written her lines concerning the three brothers followed by the three cats through a sink of mist in the late evening and how that shadowed scene seemed as abstract as the works on show in the round table hall. She is concerned that if all representation becomes abstract, which could easily be argued, then there is a danger of internalizing all reality, or something. Late night thinking, and there is work to be done. It is still warm, in the evening, and having sat staring at the page for an indeterminate time, she grabs her books, blows out the candle and goes outside. Up here, a step removed, suspended within the viscous, verdant smell of trees in the evening and the open grasslands of the foothills, heavy in its own way with the smell of sheep, black hill always looming above the cottage, Breathing in the early evening. Yes, the hill, breathing. Sit still enough by the edge of the reservoir and you will see it. Barely discernible for sure, but there nonetheless. A slow rise cloudward and a fall. She becomes suddenly aware of two children standing by the white fence. Children are seldom seen. 
mothers don't like them to go too far from home. However, it is becoming slightly more common to find a child with worried eyes standing in the doorway, or in this case, by the fence. I'm looking for Murray. I'm looking for Findlay. She stands, steps on the butt of her cigarette and takes a step towards them, shaking her head slowly. And she watches them walk off down the hill towards the bridge, the kirk, the hall, the houses, walking off in single file like monks between prayers, like the brothers. We three kings they seem to sing as they sink down into the gloaming. A drink of wine in the middle of the evening when a low sun finally appears from the western flank of Black Hill and settles for a short while on the pines surrounding Red Moss. On the marsh, a heron calls into the encroaching evening. Red Moss Marsh is pressed into every child's mind as the place to which bad boys and girls are cast for poor behaviour. It seems unlikely that there would be so many children sunk into the black slopping sod, but there will doubtless be a few. And where's Murray? Where's Finlay? Wine finished, she checks the hen in her coop. She has sat almost three weeks on her eggs and has grown weak from her fasting. Her comb has grown pale and her voice is reduced to a gurgling stream-like purr, like the clearing of a saint's throat. She claps the back of the hen's neck and listens. There just may be the faintest of tapping coming from the eggs under her warm belly. But is it Murray? Finley?
In the gamekeeper's cottage, he puts down his paintbrush and lights a cigarette. The position he occupies between the line of the sky and the line of the land has become obscured, and the smoke will, he hopes, return his focus. He is distracted by the image of some shore where wagtails dance and sprint through the high water lines of seaweed. He conceives of the minimum line required to realize the shoreline. Lines are paths, from the twilight mountains to the midnight sea. He doesn't hear the gust of wind that blows through the vaulted trees towards the door. There is an old tree just outside the gate, and it has grown around the fence, and on the wires of the fence, strips of red velvet torn from a dress point like telltales on a sail to the west. A tess rose, disturbed, bends to the wind and thorns tap against the glass. Children's nails, or something, scrape at the door. His mind wants to ignore the sound, to step into the darkness of trees thick and green with the smell of wild garlic. He wants to coast on that evening breeze past the quarries, but the sound is insistent. He is carried back past the wounded tree to the tess rose and the door. Ever heard a wasp scratch wood? You open the front door and admit into the room a small old woman. Painfully thin, muttering, she exudes dangerous madness from searing eyes sunk deep in the etched leather of her face. Blue pencil crudely outlines her eyes. Lipstick seeps up the cracks from her lips. She smells of mothballs and urine. In her arms, a newborn child rests its plump cheek against her shoulder. You motion to the sofa, and the old woman shuffles across the room and sits down. You sit beside her, and the child, gurgling, gasping, climbs out from her arms and onto the back of the sofa. You want to say something, but are suppressed by some forceful silent presence in the room. Her dress is post-war, summer, threadbare. The skin on her arms seems to hang like mangrove webs. Constructing a trembling smile, she reaches out and places her hand, mottled with bruises, crisscrossed with black line veins halfway up your thigh. Fixing you in her imploring near desperate gaze, she whispers, I'm looking for Murray. I'm looking for Finlay. Oh, ich glaube, es macht überhaupt.